Welcome to Zeal Movement, located in Manchester, New Hampshire, where we are called to adopt the city of Manchester and rewrite its future. You can check out our church on our website at www.thezealmovement.com. We hope this experience is a blessing to you, and we hope to hear from you wherever you are listening from. God bless. excited to share with you. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Christopher. I am not the pastor here. Phil and Kaylin are the pastors here, and they just had a baby, and they actually surprised us by, by attending today. We're so excited to have them in the house. Uh, but they gave me the, the privilege of being able to share with you, and I'm, I'm excited to share um, because there's something that God has put in my heart. About five months ago, this message was put in my heart, um, but a, about a, a month ago, the Lord started trying me by it, and, and I'm going to share mostly about a journey. My hope is to share, um, am I really loud? Yes. yes, I feel very loud. Why don't we turn me down? I'm a loud person. All right. My hope is to just share with you my journey of what God's been bringing me through, and I, and I hope to be an encouragement to invite you into what I believe has been the most fruitful season of my life since I've known the Lord. Um, and how many of you know that fruit requires pruning? And sometimes the most fruitful seasons with the Lord are actually often the most difficult. And, but if the Lord gives you encouragement by His Spirit to invite you into a process, how many of you know He's faithful to complete what He started? So I'm really excited because God invited me into a process about a month ago. Um, and the, the scripture that I'm going to be kind of basing this whole message off of, I'm just going to read it real quick, and then we're going to get started here. It's Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5. It says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own, really encouraging word here, you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. All right, well, everyone have a good day. <laughs> um, well, Father, we thank you that your word, it produces something in us. And I pray today that this word would be an encouragement. I thank you that it actually is. There's an invitation here, Lord, and I pray that we would see it and we would receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. So about a month ago, I was, uh, my wife and I lead a house of prayer here on Wednesdays, and um, we had a, a, a bunch of leaders come in to um, just kind of pour into us. We really felt like there was a season of pulling on the seasoned people to equip our house of prayer to pray with everything going on with the election, with our nation. I just felt like it was important to pull on people. And as we were doing that, I was learning so much, um, and I felt this weird insecurity around leaders. Uh, being a newer leader myself, I felt disqualification, I felt comparison, I felt like I had to prove myself maybe, um, I felt like the youngest person in the room, and it just began this internal wrestle that I dealt with for four weeks, and on the fourth week after Greg Winslow had shared with us, the Holy Spirit said something to me, he says, you're about to enter a season of inviting feedback into your life. I was like, okay. <laughs> So that was a Wednesday, and Thursday morning I'm driving to meet a friend in Boston, and I'm, I'm really wrestling with that word, and I, I'm just talking to the Lord. And I said, okay, God, well, what is this? This season of feedback, and, you know, and I started just feel like, you ever have those moments where the Lord starts to show you instances where this word 
to be useful in your life. For example, you start to see your ugly side. <laughs> yeah, so the Lord is gracious to show you things that are displeasing to him, but it's always an invitation. The enemy will always try to take it and condemn you with it, but when God shows you something, how many of you know he's going he's gonna to deal with it? So I had hope, so I started surrendering in this car ride to Boston. I said, God, I'm going to give you my heart. I'm opening up this life of feedback. I'm ready to receive it. And so I get to Boston, and I get a phone call. Don't worry, the two of you that are in the room that, that are maybe feeling anxious, I'm not going to share your names. <laughs> but I got a phone call from Caitlin. I am sharing her name. <laughs> uh, no, I'm protecting the other two. So Caitlin let me know. She's the worship leader here. She said, Chris, I just wanted to give you some feedback. I was like, okay, we're starting early. <laughs> so I got... Um, she just said two separate people on separate occasions came to me, and they said they had just felt belittled by you when you spoke to them. And I was like, oh, man, okay. So who are they? And she told me the first person. I'm like, actually, I remember like five times I spoke sharply to that person. I was wondering what was going on there, but yeah, okay, so that makes sense. How about the other person? She said the other person. I'm like, no way. There's no way. Like, no, I thought our relationship's good, and not that it wasn't. But this feedback came as a shock to me. And so there was two witnesses. That was enough for me to surrender. The interesting wrestle that took place after I had the feedback, I didn't share th this with these two people, but when I got the feedback, I don't know if any of you are like me, but I started having this justification feeling in me. Like, yeah, might be true, but that's, come on, that's not me. Th they just misunderstood me. But no, right when I said okay to it, the Lord showed me like seven other instances. Five of them were with my wife. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a passage in Luke 9. We're going to go to it now. It's, this stuck out to me as I was praying about this message. There's a heart posture issue that will, will cause you to miss out on the sanctification process of the Lord. It's called pride. It's called self-preservation. And this self-preservation will convince you that everyone else is wrong and you know the Lord and therefore what everyone else says about you that's negative isn't from God because God's not negative. <laughs> so if it's not encouraging, if it's not strengthening to my walk with the Lord, if it doesn't make me feel good, it's not God. How many of you know that's not true? How many of you know, unfortunately, if we're not careful, that's where the church tends to want to be? Let me strengthen them. Let me make them feel good. Let's not ruin attendance. The house is full. Let's fix our messages. But the Lord is saying, I want my church to look like me. And there's some issues that don't look like me in you, and I want to remove them. But how many of you know I love you, and I'm going to do it with grace and mercy? No condemnation, no disqualification, no, nothing to tear you down and cause you to feel terrible about yourself, but be terribly feeling about, be terrible, feel terrible about your sin. Got tongue-tied there. Feel terrible about the things that separate you from my love. Feel terrible about the things that don't represent me when you call yourself a representative of me. You know, if I stand in front of this church as a, a, as a speaker, don't know what that was, uh, if I stand in front of a church as a speaker and I represent zeal, as a speaker, I am, I am carrying right now the heart posture of Phil and Kaylin and hoping to speak into what they're stewarding. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as a Christian, Jesus spoke a very 
straightforward list of what we're required to be. And he says, I want you to look like this so that when people see you, they glorify me. So Luke 9, it's, this, it's the part of scripture where the disciples are feeling really good about themselves. And they, I'll just read it. It says, an argument started, argument started among them as to which of them might be the greatest. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their hearts, took a child and stood him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For the one who is least among you, that is the one who is great. And John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him from doing tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, do not hinder him, for he is not against you. He who is not against you is for you. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. And they went and entered a village of Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and he said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the spirit of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then they went on to another village. It's interesting, why, why did I share both of those parts? So as you're reading that portion of scripture, it's one portion of scripture for a reason. The beginning of dialogue is the disciples are arguing who's the best. Who's better than the other? There's someone here who's the most elite, Jesus first, of course, but who's second? Who's going to sit? And from that heart posture, their motive when they saw something not go well was to condemn an entire nation. That's not Jesus. This heart posture of I am better than them makes us think for some reason that someone else should be punished because we're better. Oh, they denied you, Jesus? Now, notice... Notice who's saying this. Don't you remember when they denied Jesus themselves? Later? Going back to Matthew 11 when it says, don't judge for you'll be judged by the same measure you extend to others. And these disciples had bought this lie that since they've been walking with Jesus, they're the elite, I'm good, I'm solid in the Lord, I know the Holy Spirit. So these people, if they do wrong, they deserve to be condemned by fire. And Jesus is like, you have no idea what you've been forgiven of. You don't even know what you're about to do. And so the problem that we often run into as Christians as we get older in the Lord is the Matthew 7 issue where a lot of Christians go through this process of, of plank removal, removing the giant logs out of our head, whether it's addictions or, or just bad relationships or something that's obscure or it's like the, the, the major sins of the church, but we don't talk about the little ones. And then we deal with the big log in our eye and we move on and God's like, I actually wanted to deal with your specs. I actually wanted to make this even a little bit more tedious. <laughs> I actually wanted to deal with your pride. I actually wanted to deal with the things. And here's the thing about specs. Logs, you can see yourself. Specs, others see. And it says in the scripture, I don't know why I've missed this, it's actually telling us we're supposed to, as a church, be removing specs from people's eyes. But it says before you do, you have to make sure you see clearly by removing your own log. And then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from a brother's eye. The season I'm in right now is I have a bunch of people around me that see my specks and I don't see them. 
But when I submitted to the Lord and said, all right, God, show me it, they became logs to me. They became huge. Galatians 6, it says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will, be temp- will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his work and then he will get, have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. So what does this portion of scripture mean? If you take a look really quick here, let's just look at it together. Well, this is awesome. It says, if you think, NLT, this version is my favorite. Uh, I didn't post it, but for if anyone thinks he is something special, he's deceiving himself is basically what NLT says. If you think you're better than everyone, you're deceiving yourself. But it says, each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, not in regard to another. What does that mean? It means I don't compare myself to how well I'm doing compared to the person next to me. I have to examine my own heart because this is a, this is a place of pride. Oh, well, I'm better than such and such. Like this person that gave me feedback, well, well, I, I, I feel like I'm stronger in the Lord in this area and, and maybe this area, and all of a sudden my justification is in my self-preservation. And so I actually shut off the work of the Holy Spirit in my life because I'm afraid that you're going to reject me. Because if you truly saw the brokenness that was in my heart, what, oh, what's going to happen, God? I ha- no, there's no, that's not who I am. I, no, defensive, 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 defensive. When the Lord told me I was inviting a season of feedback, what he was really saying is your guard is about to come down. And that was when the freedom truly begins to start. When your guard is down, because how many of you know when you get unsolicited feedback, how many enjoy that? (laughs) Unsolicited feedback doesn't feel good. Neither does someone who wants to give you feedback, but you're not soliciting for it. And if we're going to walk in love as a church, I believe God's about to bring us into an extremely vulnerable season of inviting the community around us to remove our specks. Here's what happens. You become really scared that everyone's going to see your junk as if they didn't already see it. And then what's going to happen is you're going to either run to another church where they see your gifting first, and then they get to know you and they start seeing your specks. Because a person with a log, they walk into the room and you know exactly who they are. Oh, that's that person. They deal with that. But the specks only get seen when you get close. And the problem that I've seen for my seven years with the Lord is that the church hasn't allowed herself to become close with each other. And then what we do from a distance is we point out each other's logs and tell pastor about it. Okay. Galatians 6 is just trying to tell you, you're not supposed to exalt yourself above a brother. The second you start to say that they're wrong because they walk in this is spiritual pride. Well, I can't give feedback for them. They've only been saved for six years. I've been walking with the Lord for 30. Pride. Matthew 23. Everyone okay? Okay. Real encouraging, Chris. Therefore, so let me just give a preface before I read this. One of the versions that I love about this, you can keep it up, Stephen. It says, beware of the hypocrite. It says, therefore, all that they tell you do not observe. Talking about the Pharisees. Do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. 
They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they are brought in their phylacteries, which is like their garments, is what they wear. They lengthen their tassels of their garments. There, I answered for you. They love the place of honor at banquets, the chief seats in the synagogues, and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And they love being called rabbi by men. So the, the thing is, Matthew 7 is trying to show us that the way we're able to truly minister to one another, which is what we're supposed to do as a church, it's not the pastor's job to put out fires, it's the church's. You bring it to the pastor when you and your effort with your brother didn't work. It says, go to that brother, deal with it, doesn't work, bring two witnesses. That's still not pastor. That's a brother in the church. If that doesn't work, you bring it before the leaders of the church so they can deal with it accordingly, and if they still don't repent, then you deal with it accordingly. The problem is, is we're throwing logs at each other from far away, walking out the door and not doing anything about it. That's Matthew 23, where it says, beware of the hypocrite, where they cast huge loads on people's shoulders and do nothing to help. It's called judgment, and it's not Jesus. And what it ends up doing is it binds people up, and it's, it literally is rejection. Oh, man, that person over there, Chris, he is so prideful. I really hope God gets to him. See you later, though. And then what we do is, oh, how's Chris doing? Oh, it looks like he's still dealing with that. But you miss out on this little step-by-step journey that is supposed to happen. We're supposed to strengthen, encourage, edify, encourage each other with songs and hymns. Strengthen each other as a community of, of one bride. And when you walk side by side and you're helping someone lift the load together, which is Jesus and us yoked together, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. It's a beautiful picture. And if we're like the church, we actually yoke ourselves with our brother and say, I'm going to walk this out with you. It's freedom. The problem is we won't invite this if we fear correction. And there's something called shame that causes us to not want to receive correction. So Genesis 3, 8 through 10, I'm stealing from, um, from AJ's sermon last week. You guys all know this. It's when Adam and Eve, they fell. That's why we are the way we are, but we forgive them because we do the same thing. So they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, I should have just kept looking at that. I lost myself. Man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to them, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So from the beginning, this fear of correction has been an issue. I don't want to get corrected because I'm going to get rejected. I'm going to get punished. I'm going to be disqualified. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hide my whole life hypothetical garden now, your heart. I'm just going to hide my whole life because I am saved by the blood and I am justified. But if you truly saw what was going on, it would be an issue. And there's this self-preservation fear, which is really just rooted in shame, that causes you to hide. I'm going to read a quick little passage here out of a book I've been reading. It's called Unpunishable by Danny Silk. I, I thank Lauren Turner for opening me up to that book. She had posted about it a while ago. But let me ask you a question before I read this. Have you ever watched someone get away with something that you didn't get away with? How about in church? You ever saw someone come up to the mic? I'm just going to, I'm going to air out my, all my junk here. You ever watch someone 
prophesy in the microphone and not get rebuked for it? You ever been rebuked and wonder why they didn't get treated the same way? You ever been corrected by leadership and then you watch someone else do that and they don't get corrected? Yeah, it looks like they get appraised for it. You ever feel like rejected by that? Is that just me? It's unhealed shame. What we tend to do is we tend to treat people the way we were treated growing up. I'm not talking about father wounds here. I'm even talking about spiritual wounds, church wounds. Well, that person rejected me. I've shared my heart. It was a prophetic word. I felt like it was from the Lord, and they told me to sit down. So I'm going to another church where they honor the prophets. No, the rejection wasn't rejection. It was actually correction, which was actually love, and it was giving you an invitation to maturity. But when a kid doesn't get their way, they throw themselves on the floor and they start thralling themselves. And me, that was my issue for five years in the church because I was very prophetic, but I had no character. How many of you know your gift will make a place for you? Your character will get you out of it. How did that pastor fall that way? Really gifted, no character. How did they get there? Their gifting got them there. Why did they stay there? Because the church loves gifts. Okay. <laughs> Whew. Unpunishable by Danny Silk. It says, I'm just going to read this. This is long, but just bear with me here. Shame is the fear of disconnection. It's the fear that something we've done or failed to do, an ideal that we've not lifted, lived up to, or a goal that we have not accomplished, makes us unworthy of connection. Shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. For some, the same narrative sounds like this, quote, to avoid pain of disconnection, I must not expose my flaws or failures. I will hide, especially through pleasing, performing, and perfecting. Those of us who, brought, who bought into this narrative often embrace the idea of these, I'm the shy kid, or the overachiever, or I'm the good boy or girl. Is it making sense so far? For others, the narrative was this. There's no way I can hide my messiness. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to protect myself from the pain of disconnection by creating a world where I either numb it out with pleasure or I make the rules and get people to fear me instead of the other way around. Those of us who run with this life script often take up the identities of the wild child or the rebel. Mind you, this is not me writing this. This is a book. So if it's good, it's Danny Silk's fault. Again, we can see two different behavior strategies. One is keeping the rules and being good, trying really hard to perform, and two is to try to fit in with the crowd. The other is to defy or redefine the rules and refuse to fit them. However, both ultimately point to the same goal, self-preservation. They are both attempts to control and manipulate interactions with other people to save ourselves from punishment. Guess what ends up being the one thing that we use as a tool? Punishment. When other people scare us, offend us, or hurt us, we turn around and use the same tools on them that were used on us. The scariest thing that I realized when I started stepping into some levels of leadership is that I am a shamer, naturally. My tendency emotionally is to punish. Somebody does something wrong, they better know about it. Why? Because that's how I was raised in the church. 
If I messed up, someone let me know. Some of those were painful conversations. Many of them were very fruitful. But I, I identified with a level of leadership of if someone messes up, they better know about it because it's going to mess up everything. It gets really difficult when you're married and your wife makes a mistake and you shame her. And all of a sudden, for about an eight-month period, the Lord was showing how hard I was being on my wife, how hard I was being on myself, the condemnation that was coming from this unhealed place of shame that was causing me to project punishment on people because you need to feel as bad as I do. Something that God really wants to do is, is heal us so that that place of wounding doesn't affect the way we overall, we talk with people, where we interact. It certainly doesn't want to infiltrate its way into our leadership. But that's a really messy process sometimes. Because for about two years, everywhere I went, I had an issue with inner healing ministries. Because I had watched a few friends go to, to, to inner healing ministries. Now, mind you, just before, don't shut me out. I think they're great. I've been, I've been healed by them. I've gone through them myself. But I hated hearing, oh, Chris, you should do a sozo healing. Maybe some father wounding. We should heal some of that. But my self-preservation of, like, I don't want to identify as broken caused me to reject that counsel. You're telling me that there's something wrong with me. Why? Why is something always wrong with me? Am I never going to get healed? Am I always going to be stuck in this mindset? Do I always have to go to inner healing sozo? Do I always have to have someone lay hands on me? Is the blood of Jesus not enough for me? It is enough for you. But God uses the church to heal us through the most difficult things. There's things that you're not meant to walk through alone. And when I had to finally humble myself, when the seventh person came to me and said, Chris, why don't you go through like a sozo? I was like, okay, well, that season when I finally opened my heart up to feedback and someone said it to me, I was excited about it because my guard was down. It wasn't rejection anymore. It was invitation. It was the most exciting moment with the Lord where I realized he actually cares about me enough to invite me into this place of wholeness. He's going to heal me. I'm finally going to get healed of that thing that's plagued me for seven years. I call it warfare, but it's really torment. It's bondage. It's wounding that's not healed, creating a fruit in my life that's producing nothing but rejection and shame. You're going to actually remove that from my heart, God? How are you going to do that? The church. But they hurt me. Yeah, they hurt me. You saw me on the cross, remember? Jesus, on the cross, was killed by the church. If we didn't have a church issue, we wouldn't have a savior. If we could figure this out and make it right and put the lights at a certain level and put the music at a certain DB and play the right songs and make it right, no one gets hurt, everyone's good, we're all happy, we found the church, Jesus wouldn't have had to die and he wouldn't have to come back. But the truth is he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. How are we doing? The, the, the question is, how are we doing with inviting him into that process? The responsibility that we actually have, that Jesus is going to come back for a church with spot or wrinkle, means we actually partner with Jesus. Being careful here. I was going to say something, but I don't think it's right. What I was going to say was we partner. <laughs> I was going to say we partner with, we can almost partner with the timing of the return of the Lord. But 
Not, we obviously don't know when he's coming, but we can slow down that process. There's a few things that take place before Jesus returns. All nations hear of him. That has to happen. There's a church without spot or wrinkle. We know that's done by the blood, not us, not by works, that no man can boast. There's a surrender to the Holy Spirit that produces that in us. But it won't happen if we're not in unity, and we won't be in unity if we think everyone's out to get us, and we have to hide ourselves, and we have to not be in relationship, and we become a segmented church where the person next to you, you don't even know their name, which is true right now. But if someone was in your living room, I think you'd know their name, right? I'd hope so. This is a living room. And God wants to bring us to a place where we're actually sitting with people we know. And more so, people that know us. Fully. I'm going to end with Hebrews 12, and then we're going to pray. Because when the Lord led me into this process of, of inviting feedback, something incredible took place. I actually started asking for it. A lot. Hey, do you have any feedback for me? How'd you feel when I spoke to you? Did anyone feel disrespected? I actually get excited about feedback because I knew I could go home to the Lord who wasn't rejecting me, was actually inviting me, and I could say, God, I'm going to give that to you too. And the crazy thing that happens with God is when you're in his will and when you're surrendered to his timing and things, the peace of God comes. There's a peace right now that I'm in that doesn't make sense because everything around me is I'm realizing, wow, like, okay, six people came to me. How many didn't? <laughs> <laughs> and there's an extremely vulnerable place where you realize that things have always been there and you thought you were hiding them but you absolutely weren't and there's a beautiful thing that actually brings glory to God when we come to that place of here's my weakness I'm going to boast in it Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. So that's the log part. There's a journey here. It says, let us deal with sin, because that's going to trip us up for what? The race. We're supposed to finish a race, not win it. It's not about winning the race. It's not about what the disciples were asking, who's the best here? It's who finishes the race. That's the qualification of sonship. If we finish the race, <laughs> that was my favorite song. Um, sorry, I can't focus on two things. Finishing the race is what's important. And this self-preservation means that I need to be the best, the most spiritual, the most anointed, the most free. I'm always going to be better. If I find something wrong with me, I hope I find it before you do. And there's this internal thing um, where the Lord led me to some freedom in this. He says, if you begin to self-examine your own heart, you start to partner with the accuser of the brethren. Let me say that again. If you begin to try to search your own heart and you try to find everything that's wrong with you, before your friend sees it. You will always find something. There's no shortage of issues. There's a plenty. There's enough to keep you busy for the rest of your life, striving to try to earn something that was freely given to you. But if you allow, here's the thing that I had a really hard time with. The Holy Spirit deals with us 
on his timing. Well, I think they should be corrected for that. Yeah, but God's teaching them that they're a son. Right now they're in a season of love. Well, someone needs to tell them that they love them. You should encourage them. Why are you correcting them? Because they know they're loved and therefore they can receive this. There's a journey and a process and timing. And the problem with me is I'm a problem solver and I see all the problems. And so I'm like, we got to fix these. And when you're dealing with people, that's a real issue. Because you can't fix people. Jesus does. And if I think I'm the person that's going to fix people, there's a real problem. And that's the log in my eye. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to take all those things out of your eye when I'm stabbing you in the forehead with my log. And it's hitting you in the forehead and you see it. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. And I'll finish Hebrews 12, I promise. The thing is, if we're not, if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, I'm going to bind more people up. Because I'm going to come to them with a spirit of correction and have no love and they're going to feel rejected and they're going to close up. And when they're closed up, they can't be free. It says love casts out fear. Perfect love. His love. Not ours. Not our thing of what we think love is. But if I actually love my brother, which means I get to know their name first. I don't just see their sin and rebuke them. Hey, brother, I have a word for you. I just see, I just see anger on you. What's your name, by the way? See, the reason the church was able to do this, and you read scripture and some people wrestle with it, like, oh, they were kind of harsh with each other. No, they lived together. They knew each other so intimately where it's like talking to your brother. You ever see siblings talk to, how about this? You ever seen spouses talk to each other? And you're like, oh, that's kind of rough. They live together. They feel totally comfortable. They're just shooting from the hip. There's a level of comfortability where you actually have the open door to correction. Dude, your breath stinks. <laughs> I have friends in my life that got close enough to tell me that. Praise God for them. But if I went up to a stranger and shook their hand and said, dude, your breath stinks. That's offensive. <laughs> hey, man, I really see your sin. You should really pray about that. Nice to meet you. It's not Jesus. Jesus dined with sinners and got rebuked for it. Why was he doing that? Why was he sitting at their dinner table fellowshipping with them before he told them about repentance? Obviously, he invited them into a walk. He said, follow me. That's not a lot of information. Where are we going? I'll show you. <laughs> okay. And then he walked with them for three years. But the first thing he did was took them to their dinner table in their own home. He got to know them in their own space. He got to know their surroundings. He got to know their situation before he just spoke into it. Oh, they seem to really be closed off. Yeah, well, their husband just died. Get to know them. Figure out what's going on that would cause them to be closed off. Well, they're just closed off. Why are they closed off? Well, they know better. They're a Christian. They should just be healed. They just need to bring that to the Lord. You need to help them bring it to the Lord. You see it. How many of you know if God shows you something, he actually wants to do something? My daughter thinks it's good. That's actually a sign to almost end. All right. So we'll, we'll end here. We're going to lay aside everything that easily entangled us. Stephen, thank you for being so patient. Let us run the race, run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, 
With the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who had endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Real encouraging. And you have forgotten the exhortation which was addressed to you as sons. And this is what I want us to get today. My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. Other translations say, don't get depressed when you get corrected. For those in whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, in which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Pause. Have you ever read that verse and get offended? I was. You had earthly fathers whom you respected. Nope. The Lord spoke to me about that. He said, if you read that verse with issues... I want to heal you of father wounds. It's real. They disciplined us for a short time as they seem best to them. But he disciplines us for our good. Amen. So that we may share in his holiness. What? All discipline for a moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. So true. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen your hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Other translations say, you won't trip over that thing anymore. That thing that causes you to stop and just fall to the ground, it's been tripping you for so long, if you just heed to the discipline that is coming into your life that you invited, you will actually be healed of that thing. Pursue peace with all men and with the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many have been defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, I wasn't going to read this part, but I'll keep going. Like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. My hope in all of this, because I know it's been kind of heavy, and I'm not trying to just skim over serious issues that have maybe been in our lives for years. But I'm 29 years old, and I have issues. I have things that have been in my life since I was a young kid. I have behaviors and habits and thought processes that have been established for a long time. And the Lord says he wants to renew our minds. He wants to see us free. And I really believe God is about to bring us into a season where we invite the correction of, of the Lord in. We invite each other in. And we actually strengthen each other as a community. People will actually get healed and set free of their bondages when they come here. Why? Because there's a community of people that love them who have removed the planks from their own eye and are now able to remove the speck from another. Amen? Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I know, it's, I know it's late. If you need to go, you can.
We're going to just, Collins, can you come up just for a moment? We're just going to take a moment to reflect. I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to pray. I wouldn't wish anyone to just willingly say, oh God, I invite your correction. Eh. You got to be ready. But I want to ask you, what is causing you to not be ready? What would cause you to not want to go deeper with the Lord? What would cause you to not want to get set free? Because I believe if we respond to this and we invite the Holy Spirit to start doing work in us, something really incredible is going to break out here. In our communities, in our families, in our lives, in our marriages. My marriage, totally different place right now than it was. I've only been married two years. My wife now has the freedom to speak into my life. I'm able to listen to her feedback and not get defensive. It's a fruitful thing. So God, I want to pray for everyone here. Lord, I thank you that you are bringing me through this. I'm not, I haven't arrived. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would give everyone grace to step into this. I pray right now those, those fears of rejection and shame that have kept us bound in our, in our sin, they have kept us hidden in our brokenness. I pray right now, Lord, you would just melt away the lie of rejection. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would adopt people. You would show them that they are loved. You would show them that you care for them. You would show them that you discipline those that you love, that are true, legitimate sons. And Lord, I pray right now that every fear of rejection would fall away in Jesus' name. Every performance and striving and, and misplaced identity, Lord, I pray right now that you would just let it fall away. We're going to go into worship for a moment. Again, if you need to go, you can, but we're going to minister. If you need prayer, we're going to do this corporately. And this is a journey. This isn't a one-day thing. This is a yes continually. So God, we thank you that you help us. You complete what you start. And you do it so well. Lord, we just submit to your hand in Jesus' name. Amen.
close out today. If you need more prayer, we have people here that can pray for you. We'll be over here. Um, it's an exciting season when you invite God in. Always. And he's faithful. And, and, and the gentleness of the Lord to breathe you through these journeys is it's amazing. So I want to encourage you, take some time, talk with your family. Why don't you start at home? Why don't you ask your spouses how things are going? Give a moment. Pray that all walls will come down. Maybe some of us are going to have the most intimate conversations with our family that we had, haven't had in a long time. Let's get some feedback. And, and listen, the first thing I did when I got that call from our worship leader is I called Phil myself. I'm not inviting everyone to call Phil right now. But there's people in your life that can help this. Don't do this alone. Don't try to fix it. Don't get back into the cycle. Just invite someone in. And so, Father, I pray that you would just give us grace to do this. I pray that we'd be an example. And, Lord, that you would help us. Help us do this. We bless every family here, Lord. We bless every marriage. We bless every relationship. I pray for healed relationships right now in the name of Jesus. We pray that broken relationships would be healed and that relationships that shouldn't be in our lives would be ended, Lord. I pray for health to just go across our community. And Father, we pray right now, Holy Spirit, come and restore broken relationships. Come and restore broken, offended hearts. Let there be transparency and freedom again. Let there be vulnerability and openness. Let there be an open heart to receive correction. And Lord, let there be love that helps us walk this out together. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.